Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to NJSBA's Blog Talk Radio Show, Conversations on New Jersey Education, a show dedicated to creating a conversation among those of us in the education community and beyond on the important education issues of the day. It's also a way to bring the important education leaders and political leaders to you, and we hope you join in on the conversation. My name is Ray Penning. I'll be your host for this afternoon's edition of Conversations on New Jersey Education. Today, as usual, we'll be taking your phone calls if you want to ask a question, and also we'll have our chat room open. This gives you two avenues in which to participate. Uh, Christy uh, will be taking the calls this afternoon. Christy, could you please explain it? I certainly will. Welcome, everybody. Now, to call in, just dial 1-347-989-8904. And if you want to make a comment or ask a question, just press 1 on your telephone, and that will let me know that you have something to say. I'll get your name and your question or topic, and we'll put you on the air. Now, if you're just listening on your computer, we do have a chat room feature that you can log into. We'll be monitoring the chat room, and we'll pass on some of your comments or questions to our speakers. To log into the chat room, you will need to register with Blog Talk Radio. Thank you, Christy. At the end of February, Acting Commissioner Christopher Cerf issued his education funding report. He was directed by the governor to review the school funding formula and make recommendations. This report, however, is much more than a discussion on just school funding formula. and In my mind, it's a blueprint for the governor and the commissioner's reform agenda. I think for those interested in the direction of education in New Jersey, it's a must-read. It's about 80, a little over 80 pages. It covers gr- ground in many areas, and in the commissioner's own words, he's not just looking at the funding formula. It's how you spend the money is just as important. At the same time that he released uh, this report, he also released the state aid numbers for the school districts in New Jersey, and <coughs> excuse me, over 80% of the districts received increases in state aid. Others, however, received cuts in aid, and I'm sure we'll get to some of that today. To discuss this with me is someone who has been right in the middle of the school funding debate for New Jersey for years. He is the executive director of, edu- of the Education Law Center and has argued before the New, Jer- New Jersey Supreme Court on behalf of the former Abbott districts. Welcome. Uh, it's David Sierra. Uh, thank you, Ray, for having me. Our pleasure. Uh, David, I'm sure you read the report, too, and, uh, and I'm sure you may even have some issues with some of the recommendations in the report. Um, but the commissioner in his report pretty much states that the past decisions uh, of the courts, the legislature, and the governors have been flawed in New Jersey and that they only get it half right. They only look at how much we spend and not how we spend it. Is is that a correct assumption on uh, the commissioner's part? Well, it's absolutely false, uh, Ray, because uh, anyone that, that knows this knows that the court um, obviously was focused on, primarily focused on making sure that schools had adequate resources to deliver rigorous standards. But even with respect to the urban districts, the court, going back to 1998, directed the Commissioner of Education to um, implement programs, early childhood programs, full-day kindergarten, intensive early literacy programs, school reform programs. I can go down the list. There was a lot of attention paid to uh, how money was to be spent uh, the court made it clear that they would do what they can to make sure that all of the funding uh, provided was effectively and efficiently spent to achieve rigorous standards, enable students to do that. And um, the court gave the commissioner of education, state education officials, 
the affirmative responsibility for making sure that's carried out. So, you know, I, I don't understand that. I mean, there's, we have a long history of working hard in our urban school districts and school districts across the state uh, to make sure that, that uh, we not only fund schools adequately and equitably uh, in terms of what students need, but that we also work hard to make sure that those funds are directed to programs that are effective and that those resources are used efficiently. Um, Maybe it's because the commissioner would spend so much time in New York and really doesn't understand New Jersey. Um, we, we might want to we might want to uh, f- uh, forgive him for his uh, for his uh, his uh, his uh, lack of knowledge about uh, uh, the recent history here. But to, to, to even suggest that is really false. Well, uh, I'm not going to. Um... I'm not going to comment on that, but the commissioner, uh, if you read through the report, and, and this is not nothing new, uh, he said he's focused on closing the achievement gap, which I think you are too, um, and he said that we're not getting a lot of bang for our buck in terms no, of – No, he's just wrong about that. I mean, again, I don't understand. Maybe it is because he's, he's a New Yorker primarily in terms of his work and hasn't really worked in New Jersey and hasn't taken the time to – really analyze what's going on here in the last 10 or 15 years. I mean, New Jersey has been in the forefront of efforts going back into the 1990s uh, to implement standards-based reform, to put in rigorous standards for all kids, to put in a rigorous assessment system, and to um, um, uh, work on identifying uh, outcome gaps between different subgroups of students, low-income students, at-risk students, ELL students, and the like. And we've made substantial progress in our state in terms of uh, improving educational outcomes for um, disadvantaged kids. I mean, we have a number of very high-poverty urban districts. For example, there was just an op-ed recently that uh, Paul Trachtenberg wrote about Elizabeth and the extraordinary uh, advances in student achievement in in a very high-poverty district, uh, a large high-poverty urban district. And we have many, many examples of that all across the state. Now, do we have more work to do? Of course we do, and in some communities we have even more work to do. Um, but to to even suggest, frankly, that um, a New Jersey hasn't been concerned about working at closing achievement gaps, that we've not paid attention to that, and secondly, uh, to to even um, suggest that we haven't made progress in that in that area is is frankly ludicrous. Well, I think his um, he he states that we are 50th or next to last in closing the achievement gap, uh, even though we have very high test scores. Uh, and also in his uh, report, he states that we are 14th, though, in terms of the poor and minority students' uh, achievement. But that's he's, not look, good he's enough. He's wrong on that. He, he uses he, – <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, Dr. Bruce Baker has commented on this. I mean, the use of data by the Department of Education right now, I wouldn't, frankly, trust any of the data – that comes out of that department these days because it's 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 manipulated for purposes of furthering a particular uh, agenda. It's not accurate. So in the area of achievement gaps, of course, uh, we do have a we're not 50th in the country or 47th in the country. When you when you um, adjust for uh, income levels in New Jersey uh, as compared to other states across the nation. And when you recognize that the high end in New Jersey is a very high end, um, New Jersey's achievement gap among the states falls in the middle. But we also have um, substantial progress in closing achievement gaps among various subgroups, particularly African-American students. So, I, you know, you can, you can uh, spin this data every, any way you want. 
But the fact of the matter is, is that New Jersey is a very high-performing state overall. We perform, as in our public schools perform overall, uh, on par with some of the highest-performing nations in the world, uh, when you just take New Jersey as a whole. And more importantly, um, our uh, uh, low-income students and students of color have made substantial progress and, and really perform well, given the fact that the high end in New Jersey is, by, is, is, is at the highest in the nation. So, you know, it would be helpful if, if the commissioner would just get his facts straight and not try to mislead the public about, uh, about the condition of, 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 of education. It would be more productive if he were just honest about where we are and then engaged in a collaborative discussion with stakeholders across the state of the progress we need to make. I don't think anybody, uh, we wouldn't and no one would say we still don't have work to do and we have work to do in some communities more than others. But to, um, uh, to frame out, as he does, that New Jersey's public educational system is a failure and that we're wasting money and we don't spend money well, et cetera, et cetera, it's just wrong and it's not productive. Um, let's get to the state aid that, it, that was uh, announced. Um, uh, the adjustment aid uh, was eliminated, and so a lot of districts uh, who were, at, were over adequacy saw cuts. Um, did you have an issue with some of the how it was distributed? Well, let me make a let me make a general comment about the funding report. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of confusion right now about this report because um, the uh, school funding law requires that every three years the Commissioner of Education issue a report to the legislature to, to which looks at how the formula has been working over the past three years and then recommends um, adjustments in the costs and weights in the formula, which are the key factors in the formula that determine how much funding, funding district, districts get. So the commissioner is supposed to recommend adjustments to the legislature in what's called an education adequacy report, and then the legislature has 90 days to either accept that or reject it, and actually the legislature has the responsibility to make its own uh, recommendations. Now, what's so problematic with what's going on now is that, you know, the commissioner's trying to, trying to, and the governor trying to do a dance around the legislature. This report, if you look at it, recommends a number of adjustments uh, to the education costs and ultimately the funding levels provided by the formula. Um, uh, and, and, but, but you know, now I heard, understand that the commissioner sort of said yesterday that this is not the education adequacy report required by the statute, uh, but that but that they're going to do it sometime next year. Mm-hmm. So uh, the real one of the real problems here is that the, the governor's trying to change the funding for, formula through the budget bill, which cannot be done. It only can be done through the education adequacy report. And so what we're calling on the legislature to do now is to say, listen, as a matter of law, we can't accept this budget because you haven't properly gone through the procedure of changing the costs and weights in the formula. We're not going to do that through the budget bill. There's a separate process in the formula for doing that. And so um, what what we're working on is to make sure that the legislature understands that. There were a lot of good questions about that in yesterday's budget hearing. And that the legislature goes back to the existing formula and revises the budget to provide aid based on that formula. Now, if we do that, we will make sure that no district loses any money. Um, And also, we'll make sure that districts begin to get the money that they're entitled to get under the formula as it exists, not under these um, 
changes that are proposed in the education funding report, which frankly we can talk about a little bit, but really undermine um, the core purposes of the funding formula itself. Yeah, well, my, my next question was, do you, does the legislature actually have to act on this? Because there was confusion on that, and you, so you jumped me up. Ahead of well, me on that you one. know, we don't know yet because yesterday uh, uh, Senator Ruiz asked uh, the commissioner point blank, does the education refunding report constitute the education adequacy report required by the statute? If you read that report, it is exactly what the statute calls for. And yet the commissioner stood there under oath and said it's not the education adequacy report, that it's some other report, um, and that sometime next year they're going to issue that 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 required statutory report. So I think the legislature now has to simply say, okay, if you don't think, if you're telling us this is not the education adequacy report um, that's required under the statute, we can't accept your budget because it's illegal. And frankly, we've got to go back and, and, and revise the budget to make sure that funding is provided under the formula as it currently exists, not with these changes. Because, because you know, what the, what, what the administration should have done uh, and could do right now uh, is follow the law, which means to issue the education adequacy report, give the legislature 90 days to review these requests and either uh, accept them or reject them, and then and then go from there. So what's really going on here is that this is an administration that once again is trying to trying to uh, uh, do an end run or a bypass around legislative authority, and we're hope and we're we're confident that the legislators are going to put their foot down and say no, you can't do that. Okay, one of the questions that someone had emailed me right before I came on was, what would your action be if this moves forward uh, on behalf, as the ELC? Would you challenge it in court if they move forward on this well, funding? You know, Ray, I'm confident that, look, the You're other thing about the legislature this, will do it? Well, the other thing about these changes that are recommended in this report, aside from the legality of the report itself, is that these are changes which have no justification and undermine the the very core of the formula itself for kids all across the state in districts all across the state, suburban, middle class, urban, rural, take your pick. And what's so disturbing about this is that we spent those, you know, again, maybe Commissioner Surf, you know, he uh, it's understandable because he was in New York at this time. But uh, we spent, as you know, Ray, uh, school boards spent a lot of time and did a lot of us Make, uh, uh, working on with the with the prior administrations uh, a new funding formula. Uh, that formula took six years to develop. We had experts from all over the state. There was an open, public, transparent process about what it cost to educate kids in New Jersey, particularly low-income and at-risk students, English language learners, and students with disabilities. And at the end of the day, we came up with a formula that was passed in the legislature in 2008 with bipartisan support and ultimately upheld by the court as providing adequate funding, not just for students in urban districts, but for students in every single school in every single district across the state. And now we have a report, frankly, that, that, that um, uh, tries to change that formula in ways that undermine the very purpose of that formula. Um, so for example, one of the major changes here is to lower, arbitrarily lower, the cost and funding that schools would get, all schools would get, um, when they have uh, at-risk students or English language learner students in their school. How, so well, example, how does that work? Would, That's would get, waste, right? You would, you would get um, 
uh, you would get almost um, there would there would districts would lose somewhere between depending on the type of district would lose somewhere between $500 and over $1,000 per pupil for the education of at-risk kids. And the recommendation that they make for doing that, uh, there's no educational justification for it. It's not like the commissioner went out into the field and figured out, well, is the current uh, cost for at-risk students working or should we revise it or not? No. They just pulled a number out of thin air. So this report itself, frankly, the recommendations that it makes, this is probably why they didn't want to issue it as the education adequacy report because the legislature, I'm certain, would have rejected it because they don't make any sense. All they're doing is trying to arbitrarily lower the cost of education in ways that hurt the very students that the administration uh, 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 claims it wants to help. At-risk students, students in very high poverty districts, English language learners and the like. So it makes no sense. Yeah, and reading his report, um, and I'm uh I'm trying to get the commissioner on, and he can, I'm sure, defend himself. Uh, I think his feeling was that uh, through politics, the original uh, proposal had lower weight factors, and I guess that's why he moved the weights to a different factor so that, as you say, you would get less for those uh, students. Let's go over some of because there well, are it wasn't changes political. in there. I mean, if anybody knows, that they, excuse me, but let me just be clear about this. Anybody that was involved in that, process. That process took six years. It started out with the professional judgment process, which came up with an initial number. The administration then had problems. A lot of people had problems with those numbers. So what did the administration do? It brought in some of the finest education experts in the country, people like Alan Auden, uh, people like um, um, uh, Susanna Loeb, uh, David Monk from Penn State. All these people then were brought into New Jersey. They spent another couple years looking at the formula looking at what the cost of uh, the costs of educating low-income children should be, and they recommended a revision. So to suggest even that it was political, I mean, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know what the commissioner well, is talking more, about. I think more it just doesn't, it, it just, he doesn't, you know, for whatever reason, maybe he just doesn't want to know. He doesn't, he hasn't taken the time to understand the extensive work of experts, stakeholders, groups like the School Boards Association that went into those final numbers, and those final numbers have nothing to do with politics. If it had to do with politics, frankly, the Supreme Court would have never upheld the formula. All right. Uh, let's go through because there are a lot of changes suggested in this report, no matter whether it's the funding report or an adequacy report. Uh, we're talking with David Sierra uh, from the Education Law Center. If you want to ask a question to David, it's one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four, and press one, and I'll will Christy will get to you on the switchboard. Um, actually, there is a question already. I'm going to get to my first one, and I'll go back to the other question. Okay, you already talked about his changes in the adjust weight adjustments for um, some of the students. I, I think Senator Ruiz seems to indicate yesterday at the meeting when they were, they were discussing this that a lot of these adjustments seem to hurt the same districts and the same students over and over. Let's talk about one. There's a change in how we measure enrollment. Um, right. And right now it's October 15th, whatever your district enrollment is at that time, that's what it's calculated on. The commissioner wants to go on um, an attendance. And what's wrong with that? Because you want oh, to encourage there's, attendance. There's, uh, it, it, there's huge problems with that. That's why very few states at all used 
uh, average daily attendance as a way to count students for school funding purposes anymore. It's a, it's it's largely discredited, and here's why. Um, you know, if you if 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 you um, um, count students based on attendance at different in, at actual attendance in schools at different points in the school year, um, what happens is is that. Uh, in higher need districts, in poorer districts, uh, they tend to have lower attendance records than more re re levels than more affluent districts because you're looking at snapshots on particular days of who's actually in school. There are a lot of factors that lead to lower attendance in poorer in schools that serve poorer neighborhoods um, um, that are beyond the control of the school. You have violence, you have gang violence, you have family instability, you have all kinds of issues which affect uh, health problems because kids don't have access to health care, so forth and so on, which affect attendance levels. And the commissioner's own report acknowledges that attendance uh, 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 levels in our higher need districts is lower than, um, uh, than in our more affluent districts. Now, the, the problem is, is that you still have to budget for those kids even if they're not there on the day attendance is taken for purposes of the funding formula, they may show up the next day and the next day and the next day, and you still have to provide the teachers, the staff, uh, the curriculum, the, the uh, support programs for those kids. So that's why average daily attendance is a widely discredited and, and rarely used method of counting uh, uh, students for purposes of school funding. Um, enrollment is a much better way to do it. Um, uh, and so what happens is, frankly, if you look at the impact of average daily attendance, and this is what Senator Ruiz was correctly getting at, um, uh, this change alone would, would, would reduce funding um, uh, statewide by about $270 million, or about $198 per pupil. The greatest impact would be on the DFGA districts, which are the poorest districts in the state, rural and urban districts. $125 million of that, or $522 per pupil, would be lost in those districts. If you take the highest wealth districts, they're going to only lose $2 million or $28 per pupil. So the point of this is, is that this is a change which makes no educational sense, and all it does is punishes those districts and schools that the commissioner proclaims he cares about, which are ones with large numbers of low-income students that are having difficulty, um, that, that, that need uh, improvement uh, um, uh, uh, on outcome measures. Mm -hmm. Now, why in the world would you come up with a formula that no expert really endorses these days that's designed to essentially lower funding in the very schools that you profess to be to care about it makes no sense i think the and commissioner I think that's what had, senator ruiz was getting at uh, i think uh the commissioner sees uh, in his, for, from his point of view that he sees an educational uh value in that it might increase encourage districts to get students in there there's no evidence of that there's been studies of of, of ada ray um it, uh, it, it show that it has no impact on any of that. All it does, it simply reduces funding to the schools and students that need it the most. I mean, the commissioner, the, own, the research he cites in that report actually stand for the proposition 
that you wouldn't use ADA because it doesn't it doesn't actually it sounds good, but when you scratch the surface and you look at the research of how it's worked out, it doesn't promote attendance. All it does is it punishes the kids in the schools. And so, in, 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 uh, in, in so, your opinion, so probably... I just don't, this is another this is another recommendation, frankly, that really is designed to sort of arbitrarily lower funding to schools that that have the most need, which seems to be the overriding objective of the governor's budget proposal and the rec- recommendations presented by Commissioner Surf in this report. All right. Uh, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. We have a caller, Jen, and I know you have a different type of district, uh, so you might not have as many issues with this, the funding. Jen? Yes, I'm here, Ray. Hi. Hi, what Ray. Was your, so what's your Hi, question uh, or comment? Hi. Um, my name is Jen Cavallaro, and I'm the president of the Board of Education for the Swedesboro Ward School District. Hi, Jen. Uh, we're located, Hi, how are you, David? I'm fine. Um, we're located in southern Gloucester County, um, and our district's the lowest spending district in the state, and we're spending approximately $8,700 per student. So obviously we're continually being forced to operate significantly below adequacy. Over the past decade, we've grown by over 215%. So my comment and question kind of revolves around the fact that we know that the revenue pot for educational aid is not infinite. So why, would, why do we support the idea, or why should school districts support the idea of providing additional state aid to districts that are operating millions of dollars above the adequacy line and have a decreasing enrollment? I mean, I recognize that every district is different with different needs. Um, David, you just spoke about um, the, counting the attendance in October versus counting it on an average daily attendance. And, and the discreditation that is there. But take our district, for example. Um, the cutoff for the attendance is in October. Last year, we saw an increase of 30 students in 30 days in December. So hmm. wouldn't something like the average daily attendance actually help districts, um, growth districts, for example, throughout New Jersey? No, because you're not going you know, to get, get any more money is the point. So here's the, here's the problem. I but mean, her question on adequacy is interesting. Well, yeah. Look, there, 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 there are some, there are, there are suburban and um, um, a few urban districts that are over adequacy. Uh, the formula, if it were allowed to operate, the funding in those districts, the state aid in those districts would be reduced. Basically, that's that was the purpose of adjustment aid. Adjustment aid was to basically, over time, lower the state aid in in. Certain districts, which were over, which are over adequacy, to have them move closer, in effect, either move closer to adequacy if they can't, particularly if they can't raise any more money off the local property tax. So the right. formula itself, Jen, actually had a mechanism built into it to um, to uh, to reduce state aid in uh, districts that were over adequacy, um, and um, uh, so so that's one thing. And if we if we just funded the formula. If we just operated the formula, it would, it would, it would, it would over time take care of that problem. The real problem, I mean, with, the real problem with your districts is the formula hasn't been funded. Um, but it hasn't so, been funded. I guess, I guess our issue is that it hasn't been funded for a number of years. And for us, it's not an issue of Democrat or Republican. It's an issue of fairness. I mean, this hasn't been funded through right. either party. So to us, this is the first, you know, this is the first time where we've seen the adjustment aid being taken away where districts that are over adequacy with the with the declining enrollment, they're seeing a decrease 
and we're actually seeing an increase. I mean, we yeah, saw it in 2008, you- we saw the 20%, and then we saw the, the subsequent 5%, but they couldn't even fully fund it back in 2008. Right, and you're not going to see very much. In- the problem you're, you're having is that you're getting a small increase this year. I think it's $340,000. Can't remember right, exactly what it is. Right, that's three fifty one. Right, and 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 frankly, you you should be getting about three 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 plus million dollars in increase. That's due. Right, right. And you're not going to see. Were... The problem is, Jen, is that it, I I think what I would urge you to do and districts like yourselves to do. This isn't about one district against another. It's about the formula that we have. If we put kept the formula that we have now, and uh, incrementally started to put the money in uh, that's required. Uh, you know, we all recognize getting to full funding right away is going. It may not be possible this year, but sure. if we just stuck with the formula now, your district would be much better off over the long haul than simply the crumbs that, frankly, that you're getting now this year. And so, what I I, I think what's incumbent upon your district is to join with other districts across the state, like all those districts that had a press conference the other day to talk about this, to make sure that the, we get back to the formula as we have it and that we start to move districts, particularly the under-adequacy districts. You know, Jen, we fought hard last year to try to get more money into those under-adequacy districts. Unfortunately, Governor Christie vetoed the budget that the Democrats did and took that money out. Um, we have to make sure now that we go back to the drawing board and your districts need to be part of a statewide effort to make sure that all of those under-adequacy districts, over time, get the funding that they're entitled to get. Right. And that's, I mean, I guess that's the issue that we're faced with right now is that we recognize there are hundreds of other districts that are operating below adequacy. None, none that have the, the explosive growth issue that we've been faced with, but nevertheless they have severe financial constraints. But our concern is that, you know, we continually get caught in this cyclone of political rhetoric, mm-hmm. and we're just trying to get what's fair and just for our students. And that's and that's so, in the, uh, and and I agree with you, Jen. And 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 I think your situation is illustrative of a lot of other districts, um, and many of those under adequacy districts were with us in Trenton to talk about this a couple of weeks ago. The issue is to keep the the formula that we put together and that the court approved, and um, uh, that that we talked about. Would in the long run, um, uh, if it were, if the and this isn't Democrat or Republican, we have to make sure because because frankly the districts the under adequacy districts are in legislative districts of both parties. Absolutely. So the answer is to make sure that um, that formula remains in place, that we don't start getting into also the old uh, trap of of, of 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 pitting one group of districts against another. And that what we do is we sit with that formula and make sure that Republicans and Democrats understand that that formula is in the best long-term interest of growth districts such as yours, under adequacy districts that are across the state that may not be growing, and also um, uh, higher needs and other suburban districts that may even be over adequacy a little bit right now. It, it provided a way forward for every district, every student, and we have to stay together on this. Uh, so David, your position. Oh, I'm sorry, Jen. Let me just paraphrase. Uh, your concern, from your district's perspective, is if if he had uh, 
held the adjustment aid and held those districts harmless, you never would have seen your increase or it would have been an even smaller increase. Is that a concern that you had for your district? It is a it is a concern. Yes, it is a concern. All right. Because and, I mean, our interpretation is that over the next five years, if this plan were to be implemented, then our district would be at adequacy. This is what we were told um, from officials in the governor's office, because we asked for an interpretation of Section Three of the report, and I read the eighty-three page report. And I guess we're just trying to determine: right. if, is that the case? I mean, is that also your interpretation that in five no. years? No, that's not. That's. I, I think you need to. Uh, I think you need to do a lot. We need to do a lot more work with your district, Jen. That's not right, because what's going to happen? Wh- one of the things that's going to happen. There are a number of factors why they might be saying that over five years. One of the things is the whole formula is suppressed. So yeah, you can get to you can get to adequacy if you lower the adequacy number. It's very simple. Doesn't mean you're going to get very much money. Uh, you're going to get very little increase in state owed over the next five years. Um, it's going to be very small, very not even close to what you need based on the formula that was passed and the cost in that formula. Why? Because they're arbitrarily lowering the adequacy budget, and they're doing it in a couple ways. Uh, they're doing it by lowering the costs. We talked about that. Um, you know, so all of that's getting suppressed down. So sure, you you want to you want to get the adequacy? Easy. You just lower the whole thing down, and then most of the districts will be at adequacy. That's uh-huh. not. But but what you're but what's happening, Jen, is they're selling you a pig and a poke. Um, they're telling you we'll give you a little bit of money, go along with this, we'll lower everything down, and you're not going to see the funding levels that were uh, that were uh, 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 determined to be necessary. Uh, to uh, to uh, support the education of your students. So you know, you have to, I would really strongly urge you, urge your leadership uh, to sit down and get a much deeper analysis. We'd be happy to do that with you. Come down there, lay out the numbers so you can see what's going to happen over five years, et cetera, et cetera. What the what the you know your district is going to lose money, even though it gains a little bit. It is losing substantial amounts of funding that your students are entitled to under this formula because they're arbitrarily lowering the whole thing down. Why well, would I love uh, to sit down with you, David, to, to talk about this that? further? Pardon me? I said she I would does? love to sit down with you, David, to talk about this further. I'll oh, put happy you guys to in it. contact. Happy to do it. All right. I'm going to put you on hold, Jen, because I, I, there are a couple of issues I needed to get to. Okay. But thanks for calling. And you can thanks, still listen. Um, uh, where was it? Oh, yeah. Um, the adjustment aid, doing it. Uh, do you think he had the authority to um, eliminate the adjustment aid through the formula? Because well, the- you know, I mean, he's not eliminating the adjustment aid; they're they're reducing it now. Look, adjustment aid is a is a is a is is hold harmless aid that was put in there to to try to make sure that now it depends on the district, Ray. So. Some districts get adjustment aid that are under adequacy, and this is part of Jen. I think the confusion that Jen may be into too. For example, Jersey City is a district that gets substantial amounts of adjustment aid. In fact, it actually gets, um, uh, uh, I think, as, as a single district, gets most of the adjustment aid, gets a significant portion of the adjustment aid, but it's still under adequacy. 
Um, and there are some districts that get um, that get that aid because they're under adequacy. That's because they're they're that has to do with their local share and their capacity to raise money off the local property tax. I don't want to get into too much detail. Right. But there are some districts that are over adequacy that do get adjustment aid. The formula was set up that for those districts, that money would be gradually reduced anyway. Um, so, for example, the former urban districts that were in the Abbott group, there's about 10 or 15 of those districts that still get some adjustment aid. Most, uh, over half of those districts get no adjustment aid. Newark doesn't get any adjustment aid anymore. The adjustment aid is, is set up so that it gradually reduces and goes away for districts that are over adequacies. So, in any event, even if the formula were kept in place, that money is going away. Okay. Um, that's not going to solve the problem that the under-adequacy districts have, which Jen is talking about. So I right. think people are, are been misled that somehow there's a lot of adjustment aid out there. Frankly, adjustment aid has gone down to about $450 million and it's dropping down every year if the formula were properly run. And it's not going to really help those under-adequacy districts over the long haul. Their answer is that the additional aid has to be appropriated as required by the formula, and most of the additional aid that's going to go into the formula, if it were properly funded over the next couple of years, will go to the under-adequacy districts like Jen's. Okay. Uh, be Christy, I understand you have a question, uh, and I wanted to get to this too, on his uh, changes to the free, free and reduced launch. Uh, yes, I do, um, Ray and Dave. We have a question that a board member submitted previously. Um, they want to know, um, they mentioned that, as you know, the commissioners recommend that the state look at another method for measuring at-risk students rather than just looking at the free and reduced lunch program. Um, he said that the numbers are inaccurate, but what other methods are there? There aren't any. <laughs> Those questions. Well, I mean, this is another one of these red herring issues. Uh, boy, how many can you throw up that, to confuse people? Look, the only reliable measure that, that, that exists today to, uh, uh, to uh, determine student poverty in any school district, whether it's Jen's district, Bayonne, middle class district, whatever it is, is the free and reduced price lunch eligibility. There just isn't any other measure. You can't use census poverty data because census data comes out um, um, you know, every 10 years and then it's updated. There is a five-year update, but it, it also doesn't allow you to track poor students to particular schools. So, frankly, it's the only measure we have. And now, <laughs> I, don't actually, I don't actually buy this idea that there is um, widespread problems uh, with using the free and reduced price lunch program. I mean, some people talk about, and there have been some examples of, of uh, ineligibility where, where um, uh, uh, students have been uh, determined eligible for free and reduced price lunch where they're over the income level. Um, I don't think that's a, that's, a, that's a major problem, and there's no uh, significant evidence that it is. Um, mm -hmm. Now, that's not could to it, say could that it be doesn't county? Let me finish this, up, finish this point. That's not, not that the state should not um, step up their audits of districts to make sure that districts are doing everything they can to verify eligibility and to, and to deal with situations where there are students that are not eligible. But here's the biggest problem 
with using the free and reduced price lunch method. It actually undercounts poor kids, substantially undercounts them. There are study after study that show that high school kids in particular, and anybody who knows schools knows this, that it's often very difficult to get middle and high school kids uh, to, to bring the forms back to school uh, for uh, uh, eligibility for free or reduced price lunch. They just don't do it. And there's also in poorer districts a problem because you have parents who, are, who maybe have immigration problems, may have citizenship status problems, may be homeless, uh, may have uh, criminal records, things of this where they don't want uh, they just don't want to. Uh, uh, they don't. They're 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 fearful of of filling out forms like this for a variety of different reasons. So actually, the major problem we have with using free and reduced price lunch is not that there is widespread um, uh, overcounting of kids who are eligible eligible who are not. That's not the major problem. The problem is is that it undercounts student poverty. But at the end of the day, it's really the only measure that we have. And frankly, you know, this is another area where the commissioner would be better off, instead of stirring up a pot like this, simply saying, look, we've got to use this measure, and what we should be spending your our time on is not having a, 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 you know, a, a discussion about this that's, that, that, that's, that's not that helpful, but frankly, a, 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 a discussion about what can the Department of Education do to work with local school districts, particularly high-needs districts, to both make sure that the eligibility process is tight and verified so that we don't have instances of folks being, kids being eligible who are not, and more importantly, how do we work with those districts to make sure that high school kids in particular um, uh, are encouraged to get those forms in so that they're properly counted? Uh, Getting close to the end of the time, I, I wanted to get to one other subject. In, in this report, he talks about the education reform movement because the how for the commissioner and the department is just as important as how much you're spending is how you're spending the money and using it properly. Um, and he really wants to help the students in those at, who are in the closing the achievement gap in those schools where it's they're failing or by you know with NCLB. He wants to have a a takeover of schools, not districts. Um, is that done in other parts of the country? I, I haven't heard that. I wasn't sure how no. the mechanics would work on that. Not really. I mean, look, and, and there's no mechanism for a district for state takeover of schools. Um, there are mechanisms where the state can uh, can directly uh, uh, charter schools. We have charter schools. That, uh, that's a form of governance where. Uh, local governance where you uh, apply uh, to run a school and the state approves it. The local board might have some ability to comment on it, but that's about it. Um, and we have state takeover of school districts, and we have three school districts that are still undertaking, still, st still under various levels of state takeover um, in the state, uh, although we don't use that anymore. Um, so there's no real authority for um, the state to actually uh, take over and run schools. And frankly, but he, isn't that part of our um, uh, NCLB waiver? Yeah, but you can't. Well, you know, it's it's very vague as to what's going to happen there. Frankly, um, uh, it, you know, if you read the waiver on this area, it's not real clear what they're going to do. Um, 
but but putting so so you know yeah maybe we'll, they may propose a statute the administration might propose it. they'd have to get statutory authority to give the state the ability to go in and take over a school um, but frankly um, you know I, I think that's an unpro- again another unproductive just like this these cuts in funding through this arbitrary report that has been put out this is another effort by the administration that's frankly wrong headed we know from state takeover that state assumption of local control has, doesn't, do, 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 doesn't really get at the problems. Mm-hmm. You have the state now trying to get out of these districts um, um, after 20 years, and, and, and um, you know, we, we know that's not the answer. The answer is... Well, you know what? I'm going to have to wait on an answer because I'm running out of okay. time. <laughs> Sorry, David. Yeah. Uh, I don't... <laughs> excuse me. I know the commissioner does agree that state takeover really hasn't been working well and he wants someone else to take over to these districts but that's another show i guess uh yeah. i'd like to david i'd like to thank you for joining me and for our listeners for listening to david uh as you can tell david doesn't hold back on his opinions um our next show will be april 10th and patrick diamond the chair of the assembly education committee will be joining us and talking about the education reform movement and school funding so um i hope that you uh, tune in for that time uh, and uh thank you for listening Thanks, Ray. Thanks, Dave.